Welcome to the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony. And we are your brothers from another mother. Yeah, we are. If you'd like to join our brotherhood, you can join our Facebook group. You can email us at reformbrotherhood at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at reformbrohood. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, brother-in-law. All right, hey, brother. Hey, brother. How's it going? It's going pretty well. How are you doing? Good, good. We're just kind of hanging out on a rainy evening. We're just uh, watching a movie before. I didn't get to see the end of it because we got to record, but that's all right. I just want to say it's October 30th as, as we are recording this. And it was 83 degrees today. I, I, I hate you. And I do not live in like, Florida. It was like 35 degrees today. That's cold. That's that good old New Hampshire weather getting you ready for winter. Yeah. Well, it's like winter already. So Speaking okay. of changing of seasons, winter already, and fantastic segues, which we clearly are as part of this show. What are we talking about tonight? We're talking about Halloween tonight. Yeah, Halloween. Yeah, we had to decide because there's two uh, two holidays that happen on October 31st. So we did Reformation Day last week, and we're going to try to push hard and get a release out for Halloween Day. Dueling holidays on the 31st. Dueling holidays, yes. So what in particular yes. about Halloween was kind of on your mind? Well, uh, there are a ton of podcasts, and a ton of them have talked about Halloween. So uh, the most recent one I listened to, uh, which this is where we get all of our ideas is we just listen to <laughs> Doctrine and Devotion by Joe Thorne and Jimmy Fowler and we just steal the ideas and release uh, a week later. Um, that's a little joke. It seems like that's been the pattern since we started is every week we come up with an idea and then my podcast updates whenever they do theirs and it's like the same thing. They're killing us. But um, they did a great episode on Halloween and kind of talking about the history of Halloween and talking about some of the questions about like what is some of the symbolism, how you know what kind of um, things do we need to think about. So I don't want to take that approach, and I didn't research it, so I'd be talking like an idiot anyways. But tonight I wanted to talk a little bit about um, kind of how how as a Christian can we participate in Halloween if we can participate. So that's the first question, and then we'll get to um, kind of how do we as Christians in a world where this is happening around us, even if we choose not to participate. Uh, in Halloween, if we you know we don't wear a costume or whatever, there's still a world happening around us. So how do we redeem that time, and how do we turn it into productive time for the kingdom? So that's where we're going tonight. So I think we've got to start with: Did you trick or treat as a child? I did. Yes. Every year uh, until there was this really big snowstorm one year, and we couldn't go out. Um, and then after that, it was kind of downhill from there. I mean, I was probably like twelve, maybe. So it was kind of getting to that age where, like, you're starting to think about not going out on Halloween anyways. You realize that there's, like, a whole bowl of candy left over at the house anyways, so why do all that walking when you can just eat all the candy that's left over? You had a very strategic approach to trick-or-treating. You know, we actually, when I was younger, uh, we actually would draw up maps of the area, and then we would figure out, like, who had the best things, and then the next year we would, like, make sure we got the same route to make like the most efficient route to get the best candy. So like there was a lady on the next street over who gave away Twinkies. And then like the next street over, there was a guy who gave away full sodas, like full cans of soda. So we had like a whole little route mapped out. You lived in an interesting neighborhood. I did. Yeah. Plus that's like a whole, like you guys drew up like a Halloween war room with like maps did, and stuff. Yeah. Like we got to have a strategy. Yeah, we would strategize. Yep. Going to battle yeah. for candy. 
Did, did you guys trick or treat? Yeah, we always did. And you know, like I mentioned before, my father's a pastor, and I think there were times in, especially in their early family, in our early family, in their early ministry, where they received like a lot of feedback about that. But they were very convicted that Halloween was something that we could participate in within reason, like not getting too crazy or really trying to get into like the sensationalization of gore or kind of right. the non demonic and over spiritualized stuff that we've talked about before, but just participating in it as an event, doing trick or treating, dressing up. So yeah, like we've got like this whole montage of pictures of all of me and my siblings in like various costumes. So like I, I'm surprised I haven't seen those pictures. Oh, they're there. Yeah. You definitely want to get a hold of those bad boys. I know what I'm doing at Christmas time. Yeah. It, it's worth the look. I like, I can remember being a dinosaur clown pumpkin I'm trying to think what else all, all kinds yeah, of stuff. I was I was a tiger so my name's Tony and my nickname was Tony the tiger so I was a tiger and I didn't grow very fast so I was a tiger for like several years in a row when I was younger like little and then um, for some reason in like fourth grade I had a big bird costume <laughs> I was like way past the age when you're watching Sesame Street but I had a big bird costume uh, and then I think I had a mummy costume and a ninja costume. That so is that's eclectic. All I can a couple of years ago, I wanted to go as Martin Luther, uh, kind of like fuse the two things going on. I wanted to go as Martin Luther, so I bought a monk costume, but then I lost my nerve to do the tonsor where you shave like the top of your oh, head. That would have been epic. Um, I lost my nerve, and so I was just a monk, which is still a pretty cool costume, but not anything special. Yeah, that's still pretty legit. So did people like get all over you about the Frosted Flakes reference? Um, you know, not really. I mean, everyone saw somebody like, they're great. Um, but I have, I have a radio. My mom and my mom's house are still a little Tony the Tiger radio. And I remember I had that since I was like a little, little kid. Um, just something I really, I don't know. I just liked it. Interesting. So even though we both kind of have different backgrounds, also like our starting points are totally different. It is interesting that we both participated in trick-or-treating. So I'm, I'm curious as this unfolds, like how that kind of shapes where we're at today yeah. on it. So I, I think it, it probably is pretty obvious that at least at this point, we both seem like we're okay with the idea of Christians participating in some aspects of Halloween. Right. Right. So I think, I think we have to make it clear that there are some aspects of Halloween that we absolutely wouldn't um, advocate participating in. What are some of those? So a lot of times, yeah. So like a lot of times on Halloween, people will do like fake seances or participate in real seances. They'll get the Ouija board out. They'll, they'll do fortune telling. Um, anything having to do with like divination or demonic spirits or anything like that um, is off limits. Even if it's, even if it's a game that you know is not real, you're going to pretend to do this. Um, that's just not something to fool around with. And we talked a lot in one of our earlier episodes about spiritual warfare. So if you're curious about kind of our thoughts on that and the realm of the demonic, go back and listen to that. But um, that stuff is not something to fool around with. Um, I know lots of people who think like, oh, well, the Ouija board is just a game. It's made by Hasbro. It's not a big deal. Um, but you really don't want to you really don't want to at least even in your mind, open yourself up to the idea of participating with demons. Um, it's really not a not a good idea. So there's that. And then I think, um, like you mentioned, kind of the gore, um, like the violence that can be associated with some of the costumes of Halloween. Right. Um, you know, you think about things that are popular in the media right now, things like Walking Dead and stuff like that. You have to be really careful not to um, participate in the violent aspects. And I think one thing that doesn't really get addressed as often as it should is sometimes people's costumes have a tendency to um, negatively appropriate other people's cultures. 
And I think that's something that as Christians we should be really cautious of because it really can affect our testimony and our witness. So if you go to work in a cultural costume and you offend your coworker um, because your costume is basically making fun of them, um, and I can't even give you an example without probably alienating somebody, but you dress up in a cultural, culturally driven costume and you um, go to work and offend your coworker, well, then when you go to work the next day, then are you going to be able to share the gospel with them? Probably not. So I think that's just kind of a prudence issue. Is we should be wise um, beyond the things that should be off limits for Christians. We should be wise about how we participate with our costumes and with other things just to kind of how we, what we say to the rest of the world in doing so. Almost every year it seems like this question comes up. It's a good question about can Christians, should Christians participate in Halloween celebrations? And what's funny to me is it almost seems like every year it's as if like the, that's the first time that question has ever been asked. Yeah. And it can be a polarizing question, but I actually think it's a totally distracting question because I, I don't think the right question is what are the origins of Halloween so much as what does our surrounding culture believe about Halloween today? And for the most part, people right. aren't celebrating Halloween as a way of trying to celebrate uh, dead saints or even to worship idols or to worship de demonic forces. It's like entirely, I mean, Halloween by itself, as I'm sure Joe Thorne spoke about, who's always stealing our ideas, that it's entirely like a modern secularized construct. And for me, yeah. at least the opposite of something of, of holiness is not secularism, but profanity. So right. I, I do think that there are really good objections to Halloween from, from really wise Christians. Some of them being what you already talked about with costumes, like overt sexuality in costumes, which I think is, is more and more rampant sensationalism of gore, but just having some sense of more prudence. But I think we can definitely not only enjoy some of the secular kind of aspects of Halloween, but actually give God glory in those things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so there's a really good article um, that was published um, on uh, October 30th in 2013 on the Calvinist International, um, which is just a really good kind of historical blog. Usually they do lots of reform history and lots of uh, stuff of that nature. But the, the article is titled Halloween, It's Creation and Recreation. And if you get a chance, it'll be in the show notes, but it's a really good read. It just talks about kind of the origins of Halloween and how the origins of Halloween, both the origins in some pagan rituals, but also in um, Christian Festival of All Saints Day, how those, those were really things, and that was really how Halloween started, but they really don't have any connection to the modern celebration exactly. of Halloween. So, um, you know, as a Reformed Christian, and, and specifically in the Westminster tradition, I would object to participating in All Saints Day, um, even even sort of as just a, a commemoration on All Saints Day to think about those who've gone before. Um, I think that we really got to be careful. We can potentially cross some lines in kind of creating a new holy day, right? That's where the word holiday comes from. Um, Reformed Christians, we wouldn't affirm that that's something the church should be doing, right? There's There's even when we get to Christmas and Easter, we have to be careful about talking about those as holy days. Um, they're not they're not instituted by the Lord in the Bible. So celebrating the resurrection, celebrating the incarnation is just fine, but celebrating them as a sort of holy day or a feast day, that's a problem. And we get into that same question with, even with the Christian aspects of the origins of All Saints Day. But I think really where our, our conversation should focus tonight is, is that cultural stuff that goes on in modern times that's really not other than sharing a day and maybe some really like tangential auxiliary kinds of connections um, really has nothing to do with it. So what, what are, what do you think the main kind of 
components of Halloween are as far as the secular modern celebration that we're going to see tomorrow night. So as I think of them, both in terms of like people I know and at my place of work, like Halloween is like a big deal. Like it's honestly like the hallmark holiday event for my company for whatever reason. And so usually it's it's centered around a couple of things. One would be dressing up in, in various ways. And usually that's like in good natured fun. Um, and the second thing I would say is gathering. There's like community to Halloween still that's not prevalent in other holidays, especially in our secular society. There's something interesting about right. that to me. So there's a lot of this association of just like Christmas of being together with people that you, you like and celebrating in some way, which is mainly just food and, and drink and socializing. So the dressing up, uh, the socializing, and then I would say there is an element of it that associates around the family, like a tradition right. of the, in particular trick-or-treating, taking your kids and being with them and going door to door and interacting with your neighbors. So I think those things in and of themselves are not necessarily bad things in so much as we are submitting everything both to the scripture and to our conscience, which of course is what we're presupposing throughout this whole discussion, but that there's a right. lot of good stuff in there that we can participate in, celebrate to God's glory, and of course be a witness and kind of reform some of those things. I don't know. What do you think? What, are, what is like, if you had to describe how we celebrate Halloween these days, what is like the key element? Yeah, I think, um, I think you nailed most of them. I think, you know, one of the things that's different about Halloween is that community aspect. So, you know, other, you think of other sort of secularized holidays, even Christmas on some level is not other than like the occasional holiday party or an office party or something like that. It's still mostly a family celebration. Um, Halloween really, there's a family element like you mentioned, but there really is more of a communal aspect. Um, Russell Moore does a podcast called Signposts, and he, you know some of this is more pertinent for our later discussion. But he talks about how this is this is an opportunity for him to get out on his street and to see his neighbors, right? So I'm I'm not going to go trick or treating this year. I don't have kids, so I don't have a reason to go trick or treating. We've got this event um, at our church that we do, which we'll talk about later. So I'm not going to be able to get out. But there are going to be people who are coming to our door um, or coming to your door that you might not ever see in another context. Um, you know, you live in an apartment complex. I'm sure the people who live right next to you, if it's like apartment complexes I've been in, the people who live right next to you, you probably have something of a relationship with. But the people who live six doors down or in the other side of the complex, you're never gonna see them in a normal day in most cases. Um, but on Halloween, if they have kids, they're gonna come right to your door. That's a great, you know, a great opportunity to start a conversation. Um, so I think there's that community element and I think, too, um, one of the things that you didn't mention is this idea of decorating. Um, you know, we decorate at Christmas um, and, you know, your your mother and she's passed it down to, to Ashley, my wife. She's a major decorator. So I think you grew up um, with decorations always changing in the seasons. And that's the way it is in our house now. But that's not the way that I grew up. And it's not the way that I think most people grew up where like there was there was maybe a couple times a year where like the house was decorated differently. Um, at Christmas, the Christmas tree comes out and maybe at Thanksgiving, there might be like some sort of harvest thing that comes out in the yard. Um, but there's an element in Halloween that seems to be more modern of really decorating. People put up stuff in their yards like it was Christmas. They get they get lights. They put up these scenes. Um, you know, maybe they have something that they put on their wall or, it's the, you know, they decorate their desks at work. Um, and I think that's something that Christians can absolutely participate in. But we have to be careful, again, because some of the symbolism that's associated with Halloween, 
even though those symbols aren't aren't really connected to anything anymore, the symbols are still something we need to be cautious of. So, um, you know, things like witches and ghosts. I'm not necessarily saying out of hand that you can't utilize those kinds of symbols in your decorations. I think that's something that uh, Christians should be left conscious about. But we have to be aware of what that says um, to people who might be visiting our homes as they come to our door. You know, if, if well, we live in the church, so we obviously don't put like skeletons up in the front yard. But if you if you own your home and they know that you're, you know, you're a Christian, maybe you've mentioned it to them. You went over and helped them rake their lawn two days before. And, you know, you said, hey, you know, I've got an event at my church. Do you want to come join me? And, you know, they might have declined. But they come to your house and all of a sudden they see witches and demons and things like that all over your house. It's going to send some confusing messages to them. Yeah, I, I think that the article you recommended is really good. Everybody should look at that, if only because it'll help to give you some appreciation for just how complicated and nuanced the history of Halloween is and how it's such a weird holiday because a lot of its association with some of those things you just mentioned, like the demonic or the the spiritual or the the dead, is really a result of Roman influence rather than some kind of weird like right. Celtic or pagan or occult reference. Yeah. And so we've kind of made this weird revisionist history where we've read back into what we think are like occult fads, all of these kind of modern conceptions. But it's still important. It's really important. I mean, I really appreciate it and I get a lot of encouragement when, with stuff like this, with really trying to sort out and discern, which it's always good to ask these questions because I think it shows like a thoughtful, mature attitude. But I, I grow each year when I think about this and I get a lot of encouragement from First uh, Corinthians because... I love that in that text, we have Paul speaking with a, a, a church that's embedded in this exact type of thing to a larger and a lesser extent in many ways. Um, but I love what he says in, in 1 Corinthians 8, specifically, I think for our conversation, he says, food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we do not eat. We're no better off if we do. And this is that kind of thing for me is we're trying to understand that. I think some people feel like, well, I can't, I have to draw specific lines and participation in general is one of those lines because there's a sense that whether we say it or not, we're thinking that this is going to recommend us to God in some way, or it's really going to highlight our testimony. And in some cases, I've seen Christians who are really well-intentioned that draw a really hard line and that really make their unbelieving neighbors feel like they're, they're whole, they have a whole, much more holy standard and they cannot interact with them about this. Yeah. So Yeah, and even... Even sometimes I think that happens between Christians, too. For sure. So, uh, you know, there's all sorts of different circles that I run in online. And there are some people that hearing me say that whether, you know, putting a sending a greeting card with a witch on it might be something that's OK for a Christian to do. Um, there are some Christians that would say, like, absolutely not. Right. And not only absolutely not, can you not do that? But the fact that you said it might be a possibility means you might be living in sin. So there are people who draw these really firm lines and I just, I just don't think the scripture gives us um, a warrant to draw that firm of a line. Yes. So, like I said, we have to be cautious. We have to be careful. But even, even between Christians, we can really alienate our brothers and sisters who have a different conviction on something. Now, at the end of the day, one of those people is right and one of those people is wrong. So I'm not trying to draw like a relativism here. We're like, well, it's right for you and it's not right for me. Uh, there may be some of that. Like if you live in a culture where there still is a lot of, um, you know, demon worship or things like that, then absolutely stay as far away from anything resembling that as possible. But in our culture that we live in right now, like there's not a lot of demon worship going on. Most people are naturalists who think that there is 
I shouldn't say most people, but most people practically live their lives and affirm a, a sort of naturalism where like, yeah, there's probably some sort of spirituality out there, but it's, it's out there. It's not, you know, imminent in our lives. It's a sort of practical deism. And that kind of perspective has really has no place for Satan in, in their um, their system. So me putting me sending a greeting card with a little kid dressed up in a devil costume and some sort of stupid, you know, stupid corny joke is not it's not going to give them the impression that I think demon worship is OK. Um, and I think that gets into that, you know, the talk about in, in First Corinthians and in, in Romans and other places about like meat sacrifice to idols is if I'm in a context where like participating in wearing a costume to this, you know, to the work Halloween party um, is going to cause somebody to stumble because they come from a background where there's the occult or demon worship or whatever, um, then I need to be aware of that and I need to serve my brother well and forego my Christian liberty in participating in that. But at the same time, if there's no reason for me to think that that's going to cause somebody to have a difficulty or a struggle, then why wouldn't I exercise my Christian liberty in there? And obey my conscience, of course, but why wouldn't I exercise my Christian liberty and participate in a cultural celebration which can really connect me to my neighbors in a way that I don't, I don't think we, we really have a lot of opportunities to otherwise. Right. And that goes back to me again for the better question being what does our surrounding culture believe about Halloween? Like you said, right. if, if you're in a culture that connects that explicitly with idol or demon worship, then obviously it would be inappropriate to participate at all. But our, our culture, at least like in most of the, the Western culture, is totally different from that. And I'm glad you brought up the thing about like the little kid dressing like a devil, because here's what I find right. so funny about that is it's almost if we're will, Christians sometimes are willing to give unbelievers like too much credit, like, you know, they're dressing like ghosts or devils and they're somehow like they're spiritualizing that by doing that. When in reality, most of the time when people are dressing up, it's like a characterization and it's not flattering. So like if somebody came up to me and was like, so for Halloween, I'm going to dress like you. Like I instantly am not flattered by that comment. Like right. effigies by their very nature are meant to be pejorative and they're meant to be mockery. And so right. what's funny is even, you know, these kind of just funny images of like the, the devil, obviously we won't believe he actually has horns and little tiny goat legs and is dancing around. Uh, even that is a mockery. And again, most people are not dressing up that way and trying to honor him. It's, it's a big joke. And right. does, again, just, just to kind of try to disarm, sometimes we get so caught up in those little details and we're thinking, well, are these kind of, you know, bringing us before the Lord in a way that's honoring him or not? And I think that that can sometimes even just miss the point altogether. So now that I expect yeah. to like see probably in my office, like nobody's going to dress up as like uh, a demon or as a Satan, but I don't even know that I would be offended if I saw that. I would just think, well, that's obviously ridiculous. And right. that, that's, that's a mockery. Um, you could pull a Luther and just be like, Oh, it's just you. <laughs> that, Bring it full circle. That, back to that our, would be, yeah. that would be fantastic. Like, Oh, it's just you. I love that. I love that line from him. Yeah, and, and I, I'm so much more offended by over-sexualized costumes yes. than I ever would be of somebody dressed up like a demon or a witch or a ghost exactly. or whatever. And I, I think that is more of an issue in our culture now is, you know, if you think about like, well, what's the idol? What's the, what's the thing that's worshipped in our culture? It really is sex. And I think that that is one of the ways we have to be really careful is, you know, you go, you go and it's, it's obviously much more difficult for women than it is for men. But you go to like these costume shops and you try to find something that's appropriate and is a good costume. 
and you have to weed through all the over-sexualized, um, you know, costumes. I don't even want to bring up a specific example because I don't want to put anything in anybody's mind. But you go through all these super sexualized things for girls, super young girls, you know, like costumes that say like 12 to 15 years old and it's like sexualized stuff. Um, and that is our culture worshiping sex. And it really is this, this holiday in our culture tends to be an excuse for people to embrace and, and kind of engage that part of their life that they never would any other time. So I think that's something that Christians especially need to be careful of if they decide to wear a costume or participate in a party of some sort, is to make sure that your costume is not the kind of thing, not only that won't make someone stumble, but doesn't give people the impression that you're participating in this kind of cultural worship of sex that is so prominent in our world. And that's where there can be a danger, is in selecting, as you dress up, the right costume, but also now putting yourself in a place where you use that holiday to engage in behavior that is totally inappropriate just for the sake of being able to use it, say, as an excuse, well, it's Halloween. Either right. either pretending to be something that you're not or acting in a way, of course, that's not going to honor God. But I think for the average Christian, that's not even a particular concern because if you're asking these questions, you are concerned with trying to sort out what is appropriate behavior, letting the scripture be that magisterial authority over faith and life. And this is part of life. We live in communities and cultures that celebrate things that sometimes are just overtly secular, but again, not necessarily profane. So how do we take those and kind of redeem those things? And I think there's a lot of opportunity with Halloween to redeem it. Yeah, absolutely. So so what do you think, um, we'll throw this to you, what, what do you think is a good thing? Pick one aspect of Halloween and how would you suggest a Christian participates in a way that's redemptive or if they choose not to participate in a way that redeems the time um, and engages them with their neighbors. This is a totally simple and maybe like low hanging fruit example, but give out candy. I mean, just give out candy. Like I think there's an, honestly, there's a ministry in small talk in being friendly and in giving out candy. And you know how it is like in Halloween, you kind of don't want to be those people that don't give out candy, like put on your lights Make it seem welcoming and inviting that you're present, that you're expecting people to stop by. And then especially, I think, as you interact with parents who are bringing their kids, just making even a small bit of small talk so they can see your face. You can see theirs introducing yourself. It doesn't have to be like a hardcore, you know, time of like deep conversation, but just that mystery of small talk is important. Yeah. And and don't use as an excuse to like get overly spiritual. about Yes. Yes. So like when a kid comes to your door and he's dressed up like a witch or he's dressed up like a ghost, don't take that moment to tell the parents about how dangerous that is. Right. That's not the time. It's not the place. Um, you know, something that I was thinking about the other day is is how much prayer could be happening, right? You have all these people coming to your house. It's kind of the one time of year where it's appropriate to ask a child who comes to your door what their name is. Right. So it's okay to say, oh, you're dressed up like Superman. What's your name? And they say, I'm Jimmy. Well, that that's you can make a mental note later on or even just then you can pray for Jimmy at your door that God would keep them safe as they walk, that God would um, call that person to his side and, you know, convert their heart. Um, That's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity just for prayer, which is something you can do that doesn't it doesn't involve anything other than a little bit of discipline of taking time maybe between kids at the door or whatever um, to really take that time to pray for people. 
You know, I really like that because that puts the emphasis on the person participating, that it doesn't need to be a public spectacle. Like, it's not like I need to go out and do more, but maybe I can change my heart attitude about how I'm engaging in this. And yeah. that's something that I don't often hear. I like the idea of being able to pray silently for those with whom you're interacting because it is a strange phenomenon. Like, if you really think about it, the fact that on this particular day, it's totally fine to go up to your neighbors and ask them for candy, like just no bars hold, just interact yeah. where in any other day, that would be considered not just absolutely strange, but like we'd be fearful to want to interact with people that we never interact with, even though we live within close proximity. So it's almost as if like every social convention goes out the window for a short period of time and you get like a pure interaction and evangelism window. So yeah, I know like there are many people in my church, uh, we have like a very strong and developed Awana program. Are you familiar with Awana? Roxima yeah. Water, right? Um, which is just a, a children's program, um, kind of like Pioneer Girls or Pioneer Boys, or I think it's yeah. what approved workers are not ashamed. And this is just basically a club on Wednesday evenings. It's education, it's fun. And I know that there's a lot that happens on Halloween to just spread the word that that program exists. And there's a yeah. lot that comes out of that. So Again, it's not like you need to drop like the road to like the Romans road track, like in every little like pumpkin. Uh, but there are opportunities where appropriate to, again, because you're having that interaction anyway, to kind of just pass along information. Yeah. And let's talk about tracks for a second here. Let's talk so about tracks. one of the things that I think is really, it sounds silly, but don't just give out tracks. So Halloween, it seems a little weird, but Halloween is an opportunity to be generous, right? So I, we joked earlier about how like I would drop mats to go to like different houses that were giving away good candy. But in reality, like if you go up to a house and they give you a penny in your, you know, your pillowcase that you're carrying around. Who does that? You're, you're going to think that house is terrible, right? If you walk up to a house and all you get is this little track that tells you about how you're going to hell and probably, you know, if it's a jack, uh, you know, a, a chick track makes fun of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, you, you're not going to think anything about that. You're not going to be impacted by that. But if you go up to a house and, you know, again, you, you know your neighbors. If you go up to a house and you know these people are Christians and they have the best treat on the, on the block and they're exceptionally polite to you, um, you know, people aren't converted to Jesus because their neighbors are good and generous and kind. But we sometimes put up roadblocks in the way because we're jerks, because we're tools, right? And if we can find ways not to be tools... Um, on Halloween, then we're not putting up that barrier, right? And then maybe, just maybe, when they need some assistance with something or they, um, you know, they have something that they want to share, maybe they've got an extra, you know, they bought an extra something at the grocery store and they want to return the favor because you were generous, that opens up another opportunity for conversation. Um, so, yeah, I think being generous, I think it's totally fine to give out a, tra a, a track with the candy that you're giving away. Absolutely. But don't skimp on the candy right this is halloween don't just don't just give out stupid stuff don't put an apple that's what i'm talking in their bag. about and if if you put an apple in their bag then know that their their parents are going to throw it away like they should when they get home anyways because you shouldn't have open food like that because of the razor blades right right the razor blades and the syringes who is giving out pennies is that an actual uh, thing just an example i used to get nickels when i was really? there was there was a nickel house that they would they would give out nickels um, there was also a house that did it right, though, and like two two doors down gave out silver dollars. And now silver dollars, I mean, it's a dollar. But when you're, you know, 12 years old or whatever, 
I would just make loops around that house and just go there repeatedly. I I didn't even know that people were just like passing out coinage. Like that's hardcore. Yeah. That's totally different. Yeah. But you're right about the fact that kids and parents to some extent as well remember the houses that are generous. And there's a ministry in that. As funny as it may yeah. sound. And that kind of stuff is great because whether or not you have kids, there is, a, I think, a place for you to play in Halloween. And that is being generous and being open, making yourself available by making it look like your home and you're ready to receive people as they come through. And you can do that in a bunch of ways by obviously just turning on the light. But plenty of people around here, probably in New Hampshire as well, like we you know, like stick out uh, like lit jack-o'-lanterns. And, and like even in my family, I remember we used to sometimes carve just across a jack-o'-lantern. I mean, you can be somewhat yeah. overt and still say, I'm, I'm celebrating with you. Like this is the way yeah, I, I celebrate. Yeah, I made a John Calvin... I made a John Calvin Jack Lantern one year. That was pretty cool. I love every part of that. I'll find a picture if I can. I want to. I, I, I want to make like a a Spurgeon Jack Lantern. Yeah, I don't have skills for that. I know. I need to get better at that. Just practice carving reformer faces into pumpkins. Yeah, into gourds. Is there like a YouTube video for that? Probably. Yeah, I'm sure there's a YouTube video for everything. <laughs> you know, I found a YouTube video. Uh, it's this guy. This is totally off topic, but. It's this guy who goes around and gets himself attacked by animals to show what happens. So he got himself stung by a, what was it called? A tarantula hawk. Oh, I saw like this. Number two on the pain index. I saw this. And man, that guy's an idiot, but he's so interesting to watch because that's crazy. He is, he is crazy, but he takes it like a champ. He does. He does. It's entertaining he, just he to see the pain. He literally like put his arm in an alligator's mouth just to show you what happens. Who does that? I, I don't know. That is absolutely crazy. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't, don't definitely don't do, do not that. do that. There's no reason you should be putting your arm in anybody's mouth except your own. Right. And probably don't do that. Yeah. Either. I would even do that sparingly. Yeah. So what are some other ways that we can redeem Halloween? Well, maybe, maybe we can talk a little bit about how churches can participate. Yeah. And can let's be do it. Active. So um, our church uh, does what we call the House of Halloween Fun. And so we've done it differently in, in past years. This year we're, we're doing it a little different. But we set up scenes, right? And we have kids come through. Now, we, you know, we talk about the weather. Um, it's probably going to be in the 40s tomorrow night when kids are trick-or-treating. So um, even something as small as having a heated room that they can walk through that is they'll be in there maybe for like five minutes. But I remember sometimes trick-or-treating when I was younger, and it would just be so bitter cold sometimes that having a place you could go and get out of the cold was really helpful. Um, and so we're going to have these kids come through. There's going to be people out front who are going to be talking to parents as they are waiting for their kids. Um, and then we're going to give them a piece of candy and a track. And it's just a small thing that we can do. It takes, takes some time and some money and some resources from our church's behalf. But we look at it as a way that we can really serve our community. Now, I think if churches are participating in this, we have to remember that this doesn't replace the gospel. It doesn't replace evangelism. And that's not really the point of this. Um, but what, what do you think? Have you seen ways that other churches have done well kind of participating in, uh, in Halloween activities and providing things for their community? Absolutely. I love the way in which churches, especially like yours, have gotten really creative with, again, celebrating what's culturally appropriate that does not go against scripture or conscience, but at the same time, just being inviting. Sometimes it's just about being making people aware that you're, you're actually there in the community, to be honest, because, again, you get right. people coming to you, which is really rare. I mean, people who would otherwise never set foot in a church 
coming all the way through the building to inter interact. So I've seen a lot of that. Sometimes it's as simple as just doing like the trunk or treat thing. Or sometimes it's as simple as just um, like one time when you're our church handed out like little flashlights and candy, you know, and the flashlight said like that word is lamp unto my feet. And you're exactly right. The idea isn't like I'm going to give you the entire gospel presentation in our 30 seconds of interaction, but it's mainly to be available to make your to make somebody aware that you're present in the community and to kind of give, you know, like a little bit of an invitation. And I think that I see a lot of like that kind of thing where it's just getting people leveraging the fact that people are walking through the neighborhood and your church is there and getting them to be even on premise. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been to one of those like hell houses? Do you know what that is? No, I've never been. I remember what, so one time my aunt came to visit and the local high school was just doing like one of those like, you know, haunted house type of things. Is that what you're talking about? Like more like that or more serious than that? Okay. So, so there's haunted houses, which is like the normal, like people jump out at you, yeah. zombies thing, which I, I guess we could talk about whether Christians should go to those or not. I've, I've been to them. I don't have any problem with them. But what a hell house is, is it's a specific thing that some churches do. Oh, I know what you're talking like, about. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's like a haunted house, but instead of a haunted house, it's like you're you're getting killed and then yes. the last scene is hell and it's like designed to scare scare you the pants off of you yeah yes yeah i remember i remember i went to one when i was in uh, i must have been like my first couple years of college and i went to this one that this big church down in, in downtown minneapolis did and it i was a christian and i walked out of there like oh, i'm gonna go to hell it was it was terrifying <laughs> and i i i don't know i just can't imagine anyone really coming to faith as a result of that. Right. Um, I, I guess, you know, God uses all means and, and I'm sure that there are people who have said, who have been to that and really were impacted in a way that that led to their conversion. But I, I guess I just don't really know what to think about that as, a, as like a tactic or like a method. What do you think? So here are my thoughts on this. I have heard of this. I've never been to one myself. So I think, of course, it's well-intentioned. I think it communicates something evidently very effectively because I've heard it can scare the pants right off of you. But my feeling is I question how effective it actually is in communicating the, the essence of the gospel rather than just being right. wrapped up in fear. And because it's on Halloween, I think that could be tremendously confusing anyway for somebody that's not familiar with the gospel. So if all you're doing is yeah. this is a, an, a holiday that we're normally is associated with just scaring people and now what you've done is tried to leverage that fear, that emotion into a decision about eternal destiny. I just question yeah. that string running all the way through it. It's not to say, like you said, that it can't be, it can't actually, the Lord can actually use that as a method or a means by which to bring somebody into the kingdom. But it just seems like it might not be the most effective way. Yeah, I think it's kind of a well-intentioned um, misunderstanding of like the law and gospel kind of method of evangelism. For sure. Right. So like the idea in law gospel evangelism is to show, reveal someone's sinful to the sinfulness to them by kind of hammering them with the law and kind of like breaking down their defenses with the law. And then once their defenses are down, then you, you give them the gospel. But it, it seems to me like this, those kinds of things, it really makes salvation more about, escaping consequences than it is about um, being in a right relationship with God. Exactly. So it's like, that's like a side effect. Like, oh, and you, you get to be with Jesus. 
But it's really like, but really the scary thing is hell. Right. That's the scary thing. And hell is scary. But, you know, it seems like it puts the emphasis in the wrong place. And I I think it probably, if it's producing converts on a regular basis, I think it's probably producing kind of shallow converts who, who don't really know that like salvation isn't just about escaping the negative consequences. Salvation, you know, what we getting, what we get in salvation is God. It's not his benefits that we get. We get God. And there are benefits that come with that, but the ben- the only benefit we need is God himself. Um, and I just don't get that impression from that kind of methodology that, that that's what they're peddling. And it does feel like sometimes like they're peddling it is it, it really seems more like, well, you're a terrible person and hell is really bad and you don't want to go there, do you? So sign this card. Right. Like that seems to be kind of the method. Right. So Especially like on this holiday where we celebrate, at least in some respects, scary things. Right. We're going to wrap all that up too and say, well, you know, all that stuff is not for real, but this is for real. And I would think it would be hard to discipleship that afterwards. Like there'd be serious hurdles to overcome. So you're right. It's well-intentioned, but I just think it's probably not the most uh, effective way. Yeah. Well, um, we can probably start to wrap things up a little bit. Um, Do you have any recommendations for this week? Um, I don't have any recommendations in particular, except I would say, actually, yeah, I guess I do. Go get the king size. So whatever your, your favorite candy is, just go get that candy. But as you're tempted to skimp and get the bite size, just go straight king size. Uh, as God has been generous to you, please be generous to your trick-or-treaters with that extra candy. Yes, yes that's a great recommendation. So um, I have been reading um, a lot of different things. But we didn't bring it up last week because we kind of ran out of time. But Zondervan, in celebration of the um, 500 year anniversary of the Reformation, which is happening not tomorrow, but next year, uh, tomorrow, next year, um, they're publishing a series of five books on the five solas. So there's three of them that are out now. God's Grace Alone, Faith Alone, and God's Word Alone are out. Um, And then coming out next year are um, Scripture Alone and, um, not Scripture Alone, What's left? Grace alone and um, Christ alone are the next the next two that are coming out. So I've been reading the Faith Alone one and it's phenomenal. So go get all of those books. Get the three that are out and then pre-order the other two. Um, you'll be edified. They're by great scholars. Um, I really can't say enough about that series. And I think just you know I know that we're talking about Halloween tonight, but to sort of go back to the Reformation. I think one thing that our our kind of the young reform restless movement, um, which seems to be kind of winding down a little bit, right? We're we're on the ten year anniversary of Con Hansen's um, article that sort of labeled this movement, and one of the things that's happening is the people who were part of the young restless reform movement, they never got rooted in anything, right? They kind of went to these Acts twenty nine churches, and this isn't a slam on Acts twenty nine. Acts twenty nine is a great organization, um, but a lot of people went to these sort of Acts 29 churches that were basically non-denominational churches with like tulip painted over the top of it. And they never got rooted in anything historic. They weren't reading the institutes. They weren't reading the Puritans. They weren't studying the confessions. Um, So something like institutes of of the Christian religion by Calvin, I think is a a huge value to, um, to any reader who really needs to understand the Protestant, particularly the reformed faith. Have you read the Institutes? I haven't read them in their entirety, but it's, that is like a great resource for anybody. It is. So I have a special deal for you. 
Do you? Do you like that? I do. Do you like that segue? Please tell me your special deal, Tony. So we have a special deal for our listeners. Uh, if you go to audibletrial.com slash brotherhood, uh, you can get a free trial of Audible. And Audible works a couple different ways. But the, the really cool thing is you get a free trial. You pay. At first, it's free. But if you continue, it's $15 a month. And you get a free book every month, a free audio book. And all of their audio books are the same um, in that free thing. So whether you're getting, like we mentioned last week, Bruce Shelley's uh, Church History in Plain Language, which is like 21 hours of church history, or whether you're getting um, Ordinary by Mike Horton, which is like 200 pages, um, you get it free. And you get that once a month. And I was looking today, and they have um, Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Calvin. They have uh, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Uh, Bondage of the Will by Martin Luther. So they have a lot of really good classic Christian resources. Um, so you've got nothing to lose. It's totally free. Um, it's great for like if you're, you know, we're always talking about trying to redeem the time. If you have a long commute to work or you're a runner or you do a job where you, you know, you can have something in your ears. Uh, it's a great way to sort of process some of these classic Christian works. That can be really hard to read, but having someone read them for you and read them to you uh, can be really helpful. So audibletrial.com slash brotherhood um, we would really appreciate it and every sign up we get helps us uh, to defer some of our costs that we uh, probably will be getting coming up soon too i feel like i i got totally juked on the recommendations i was like go give trick-or-treaters more candy and you were like let's talk about faith alone <laughs> that was great so you know yours is good though i mean we're, we're not giving out candy this year because we got the event and we live at the church where the event's taking place but i think that's great i think that's really great to just be generous with your resources um you know we I think that's one of the Christian virtues that we don't we don't often talk about or think about as much is generosity. Like if Christians as a community really practiced generosity, I think we would be seen in a whole different light in the in the community than we often are. For sure. And who doesn't love king size? Like where I live is in close proximity to Hershey, like the Hershey's chocolate. So like around here yes. you gotta really differentiate. You gotta step up your game if you, you want do. people to remember you. Yeah. I wonder what Hershey, I wonder what Chocolate World is like at Halloween. They do like a whole celebration. It's like Hershey Park in the dark and you can go and yeah, there's people dressed nice. up. And again, it's like, it's just like a big party, honestly. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. So for this question, Tony, you and I were curious. We put a question out on Facebook and the question was, what Halloween candy do you think best represents a theological concept or biblical truth? And I have to say, I was impressed with the responses. So to start us off, Chuck Mur Murphy said, sweet tarts. And then, and this is brilliant, he quoted from Luther, Simul Eustace S. Peccator, which is, of course, at the same time, just and sinner, which is beautiful. So yes. I'm assuming the just part is the sweet and the sinner part is the tart. Does that make sense to you? You know what? A, not that Chuck's uh, answer is not awesome, but a better one would be those um, Sour Patch Kids. Oh, yeah, for Have sure. Have you seen those commercials? Yes. Where they start out sour and then they go sweet? That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, Dennis Boyer says that candy corn is the most Trinitarian of candy. Lots of candy corn. Which is true. When I asked Ashley this question before we posted it, that was what she said. Uh, and I said, that's modalism, which is like everything's <laughs> modalism. So here's the question. Do you like candy corn or not? Um, you know, I don't, but if you put a bowl of it in front of me, I will eat it until I vomit. And I don't know why that is. Yeah, isn't that, so there's something sinful about candy corn evidently, because I'm yeah. the same way. Like I love, I do like some candy corn, but like no self-control. And I've met a lot of people that are like, oh no, no, I hate it. But the minute like the bowl is out, 
they're you just eat it. Yeah, running a train on it. I always break the white part off and put it on my canines and make it look like <laughs> I've got fangs. I've been doing that since I was a little kid. I think that's also like universal. I love that. Yeah. Uh, Robin Camp said that trying to understand some theological concepts make her feel like a dum-dum, which is like the best pun joke of the Well night, done, Robin. That was the best. Yes, good work. Well done. I like that uh, Marky Rupert says, Orange Circus Peanuts put the curse of sin on full display. Yes, they do. <laughs> you know, someone brought some of those to uh, Bible study the other day, and I was really appreciative of their generosity, but I had never had them, and I took one bite, and I was like, Ugh. What did you think? They're just like they're just like saccharine sweet. I couldn't finish it. Here's the weird thing about circus peanuts is they're like the polarizing candy. Like either you hate yeah. them or you love them, and the people on both sides of that spectrum are super passionate. And then there's probably like this third group of people that's like, oh no no, I hate them when they're fresh. But if like you put them on like a heater for six days and let them dry out, then they're amazing. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't understand I, that at all. No. Uh, your lovely wife says that it's not a candy. But she talked about how uh, when she was in Sunday school, the teacher would put a marshmallow inside of a crescent roll. And then I guess when you bake it, the marshmallow, I guess, like burns off or like evaporates into the bread. And it created like a hole and used that to teach about the empty tomb, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, she's talked to me about that before. I'd never heard of that before. Did you? I, I've, I've never heard of that. I mean, I, as somebody had noted, I think there it, there's potential like huge theological implications of Jesus being a yeah. marshmallow, but <laughs> like I don't know how how to like the how do we feel about that in the second commandment? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast. I'm not sure. I, in general, I'm not a fan of those kinds of demonstrations because they usually end up spiraling off into some sort of heresy at some point. Right. But this one's probably pretty legit. It's clever. It's very clever. I yeah. think it, it proves a point. Uh, John yeah. Godfelter said Skittles and M&Ms as all people are precious in his sight. Yes. Which one of those Chuck, do you fall on? I'm an M&Ms person. Yeah. I, I, I like Skittles, but I, I, I'm, if I have a choice between fruit and chocolate, I'm going with chocolate every day. Yeah, I totally hear that. Here's what I've just learned because I, we're talking about chocolate. So I, I have a good friend who is in our small group. She is actually a food scientist for Mars. And so I've learned all this like crazy, amazing stuff about chocolate, including yeah. that Hershey's does this weird thing where they add this chemical, not, not a chemical, sorry. It's more of like a flavor compound that when it's isolated by itself, this flavor compound basically, I don't know how somebody knows this, but tastes and smells like baby vomit. And apparently to like our American palates, that's what we expect from like Hershey's milk chocolate is this kind of like slight tangy baby vomit-esque flavor. But Mars chocolate does not do that. I think you might have just ruined chocolate for me. <laughs> Probably not. I'm going to forget that you said that the next time it's, I do chocolate. It's fascinating. Everybody look it up. It's, it's fascinating. And then uh, to close it out with, the, uh, with Chuck Murphy again, he said peeps. And it says peeps remind him of the wrath of God where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And I'm assuming that's a reference to the fact that um, peeps never like go away. They're like, they're like indestructible. They're kind of like Twinkies. They have a shelf shelf life is like a half life instead. Yeah. Like you have so, to quote it in, yeah. Like atomic time as yeah, opposed to like yeah. standard just days. Half life. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Those, so. those are fantastic. I hope that people are giving all of those different candies out to various people this yes. Halloween. 
Especially the crescent rolls that used to have a marshmallow in them. Yo, I gotta do that. I gotta. We gotta get on that and bake up some. I'm kind of so. I'm kind of curious to see how that plays. I'm guessing it actually leaves like this giant pocket, and I guess it's like all sweet and delicious because yeah, the marshmallow maybe. has melted and Jesus has risen from the dead. Yeah, I suppose because the marshmallow would expand, so it would make a big gap. We'll have to try it. We'll have to do a video of it and put it on the website. Yeah, we really should. We need to get uh, some people trying this out all all across the world. The yes. the Jesus uh, rising rising crescents. Hashtag the crescent roll is risen. Hashtag woohoo. Yeah, I'm probably gonna get some hate mail for that. <laughs> so, do you have any uh, closing thoughts to wind us down here? I don't. I just actually appreciate this conversation um, even more than usual because I, it, you're right. It's good to kind of just dialogue about what we can do, how we can think appropriately about things like Halloween and how we can interact with our culture in such a way that at the same time gives God glory and also allows us to really interact, have fun with our neighbors, with our unbelieving neighbors, and just exhibit the love of Christ in a way that meets them in an appropriate way with what we're celebrating. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, this is going to launch on Halloween, so you probably have already done your Halloween thing by the time you hear it. But just remember that, um, you know, we want to be a people that seek holiness. Absolutely. Um, so these questions are important, but we also are a people who've been given freedom. And that's not freedom to sin, but it's freedom to exercise our wisdom and to seek godly principles and things. So if your conscience is sensitive to Halloween, then, then don't take this as a license to violate your conscience. But, um, you know, if you if you have sought godly counsel and studied the scriptures and you think it's okay, then get out there and have a great night and be generous to your friends and to your neighbors and uh, try not to eat too much candy. Uh, Save some for me. Me too. All right. See you next week.